This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. We continue probing the alleged connection between former President Donald Trump and Russian intelligence. Donald Trump Jr. in October 2016, just a month before the presidential election, uh, Donald Trump Jr. traveled to Paris. Uh, He gave a talk before a French think tank. He was paid over $50,000 for it. And all of that was completely legal. But what was really going on was the think tank was a Russian front, a front for Russian intelligence. And Craig Unger, author of American Compromise, whom we've been talking to for several weeks now, says there was another big development. And Donald Trump Jr. was given the talking points that uh, Russia wanted his father to perform when he became president. More from the story, American Compromise, how the KGB cultivated Donald Trump and related tales of sex, greed, power, and treachery. Coming up on this edition of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile. Capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. Russian intelligence and its efforts to get to the top of the U.S. government. We've been digging into this for the past three episodes. And on this one, we go a little bit deeper with Craig Unger, author of American Compromise. In this conversation, we take a look at the future where Russian intelligence is going and how deeply burrowed it is into U.S. culture, government, money, and many other things. Craig, we talked uh, at, at length about your book, American Compromat, along with Yuri Shvets, several weeks back. And since that time, I've spoken with him a couple of more times and gotten some more detail about the connection between Former President Donald Trump and Russian intelligence dating back to the 1970s. So your book talks about a lot more than just that. So I'd like to move forward a bit and talk about the impact of that relationship, even though he's not in office now, the impact of that relationship on the U.S. government after the Trump administration and America as a whole. Right. Well, you know, I think when a lot of people uh, think of spies, they think of uh, cloak and dagger situations and dead drops and people like Aldrich Ames or or Robert Hansen. Uh, I, I think what we're seeing with Russian intelligence now, and even going back to the KGB before that, is a new kind of, of uh, intelligence operations that's developing agents of influence. And Donald Trump was one of those agents of influence. Uh, he, he was not necessarily the most obvious person 
to cultivate as an intelligence asset, uh, because he's a businessman and not uh, uh, someone like Robert Hansen, who was in the FBI. But he became a powerful figure. And I, I think even though he's off the stage now, the Russians did that broadly in many, many different sectors of the American uh, social scene. They, uh, they recruited uh, and developed agents of influence. If you look at lots of the big white shoe lawyers at firms like Kirkland and Ellis and Jones and Day, you'll see people who make up to uh, $10 million a year and they're representing uh, the Russian banks, they're Russia, representing Russian oligarchs, and in effect, they're doing, they're implementing policies and lobbying for measures supported by Vladimir Putin. They are intelligence operatives of a new sort. And that has happened uh, broadly throughout the entire Republican Party. If, if you look at the par Republican Party today, even though Trump is no longer in the White House, uh, they are marching in lockstep with Vladimir Putin. Take a look at some of the senators, some of the representatives that have uh, said things that made people scratch their heads um, that seem to be positive when it came to Russia. There are situations where people who are in business, who've made decisions that seem to be very favorable to Russia. Then there are people in the, in the press. It's my understanding that there are a lot of people we may not even know about in our own business that may be in that group. Can you speak to that? Right. Well, um, as I say, this has happened broadly throughout uh, the entire Republican Party. And when you see things like uh, Senator Mitch McConnell, who's now the most powerful person in the Republican Party, and he's known as Moscow Mitch. And uh, the project may have been scuttled, but for a while there, there was a massive aluminum factory project in the state of Kentucky uh, being backed by Oleg Deripaska, who is one of Putin's favorite uh, oligarchs. That kind of thing doesn't happen by accident. It's a targeted operation designed to woo Moscow Mitch in, into Putin's camp. And it, that kind of thing has been happening again and again and again. Uh, we see it with the, you know, the, the right-wing press uh, led by Fox News, but a lot of other operations, One American News, they're, they're also repeating all the talking points uh, that Russia wants. Uh, when we look at uh, the January 6th insurrection, a lot of that was promoted by QAnon. QAnon may be a purely American in its origin, uh, but a lot of the Russian hackers were promoting uh, th their talking points and, 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 and throughout social media. So these are very targeted operations. They're very focused and they've been fabulously successful in that you have about 70 Amer million Americans, uh, they're, they're also known as Republicans, who are effectively marching in lockstep with Russia. Well, Craig, as you know, I can't do this program and beat up the, the Republicans uh, and only talk negatively about the Republicans. Now, I don't want to talk negatively about anybody. I want to talk about the truth, and that's obviously what you're saying. But there has to be 
knowing the way the Russian intelligence has worked throughout time, there has to have been some attempts to penetrate Democrats. There have to be some situation where Democrats and people of other parties were, were approached. Did you find any of that? Well, there were some attempts. They were not very successful. One of the Russian mobsters uh, approached uh, uh, Bill Clinton at a fundraising thing and got a photo taken with, 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 with Clinton. Uh, they've also made various contributions um, to the Clinton Global Initiative and so forth. But in, in, in large measure, it has been much, much more successful with the Republicans. I, I, I think what you can see that the Republican, that the Russians have done is they've looked for all the loopholes in American uh, society. If you, if you look at, for example, uh, our lobbying mechanisms, the way on K Street in Washington, you have very rich and powerful law fir firms who, are, who uh, for years lobbied for big oil companies, for big pharmaceutical companies. Well, now they're lobbying for Russia. Mm. And uh, uh, if you look at campaign contributions, the Citizens United Act uh, introduced enormous amounts of corruption to our uh, campaign finance system. And there are people like Leonard uh, Blavatnik, who is a, a, a Russian oligarch, but he also happens to be a naturalized American citizen. And that means he's, he's a, he's a multi-billionaire who can funnel loads and loads of money into the Republican senatorial campaign committees, which is overseen by Mitch McConnell. And I don't know, uh, the, the, the extent of corruption is so vast that it's impossible for one reporter like me uh, to do all of it. But you can see that it is both uh, deep and widespread, and, and it's taken over the Republican Party. So looking at the future, where we're going now, disinformation is a byproduct of, of Russian intelligence that has, over the years, over decades, has become much more pernicious than it used to be. I mean, it used to be a word of mouth thing and it used to be uh, flyers, you know, but now we've got all this great technology that makes it really super easy to push their messages and all their, their work out through social media and through the internet. Um, just looking at what you have found in, in your, your fabulous book uh, regarding uh, Russia's intelligence operations inside the U.S., how much of a danger does the U.S. face from this disinformation program and operation that's underway and in operation in this country? I think we still face enormous dangers. And uh, Joe Biden's victory was enormously important. Uh, and he won uh, uh, in the popular vote by a considerable margin. But in the Electoral College, uh, transferring uh, really just 40 or 50,000 votes in selected states could have swayed the election to Trump. And if you look at Congress, uh, Biden uh, has an even slimmer uh, margin of victory there. So it, it's quite possible that you know, we, we have to guard against this. And, and I, I think social media has played uh, a particularly uh, pernicious role in this. Uh, social media like Facebook or, or Twitter is not regulated in the same way uh, reporters like I am. I could be sued for libel if I make up uh, a malicious lie about someone and, and 
that is as it should be. Our libel laws, I think, are really pretty good. But social media says, well, we're not media at all. We're just tech companies. And therefore, we're not, uh, people can say whatever they want on social media. And the Russians took enormous advantage of this, and they still are. And there's nothing to keep them from doing it. Trump has been kicked off uh, Facebook and Twitter, of course. Uh, but not everyone has. And, and if you look at the rise of QAnon, uh, that has been fueled on social media by the Russians. And a lot of this stuff is still going on. You know, this is the thing that you touch on in your book. And you, well, you do a heck of a lot more than just touching on it. You talk about the greed in American society and essentially this power and treachery. What's the most treacherous thing we're looking at as we look forward, moving into the future right now and considering what's at stake and, and, and what's at play right now? We know that, as you mentioned, um, Oleg Deripaska is one of a lot of Donald, or rather uh, Vladimir Putin's friends uh, in, that, are, that have been indicted or are being sought by the U.S. government, uh, and they continue to do what they essentially have been indicted for, 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 for doing. Yet there is a meeting between President Joe Biden, uh, supposedly, and Vladimir Putin later this year. What can be accomplished under these circumstances? And this is the part where I'm getting at the treachery here. Is this a part of Russia's uh, objective to try to get in, 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 to appear in a favorable position to the world to continue what they're doing? Right. Well, I, I think we could see a lot of what their goals were in terms of what's been happening in Ukraine. And they ha still have about 100,000 troops on Ukraine's borders. Clearly, that's enormously important to them. If, if Ukraine were to join NATO, that would be a dagger at the heart of the Russian Federation. It's the last thing that Putin wants. Uh, the, what he wants more than anything is to win Ukraine back into the Soviet, into the Russian fold, just as it, it had been part of the Soviet Union. Uh, in, for Russia, when it thinks in terms of the great Russian empire, it means it wants Ukraine to be part of that. Uh, Russians' dreams of imperial power begin and end with Ukraine. They don't necessarily end there, but it, Ukraine is a very much an essential part of that. And when Trump was in power, effectively, uh, Putin had uh, uh, nullified NATO. Uh, we, with the, because when Trump was in power, the United States was not a reliable partner to NATO. Now, under Biden, it looks like NATO is back in business. And, and I think this, these are some of the key things we have to look at. Uh, and to fight them, we have to uh, tighten up uh, all the loopholes and, and begin regulating things. I, I, I talked about how Donald Trump was corrupted in part by uh, because he, he made millions by laundering uh, Russian mafia money through Trump real estate. Well, we have to tighten up those loopholes. That, uh, laundering money through real estate means doing transactions through anonymous ent entities where the beneficial owner is hidden. It means doing all cash transactions. We shouldn't have to, we should have regulations that uh, don't permit that. And we have to do that in the areas of campaign finance as well with, with things like Citizens United. 
Um, and it, there's a lot of housekeeping that needs to be done in that regard. Craig, just a couple of more minutes with this. You know, there were some people here from Russia, like Maria Butina, who've been here for several years, who've made significant inroads into various parts of American society, politics, uh, the Second Amendment uh, issue. Uh, and you've obviously talked about the, the deal that didn't happen in Kentucky. There are other deals, other possibilities in different places that have been taking place that date back to those 200 televisions that Donald Trump bought, uh, the Trump organization bought from uh, the, the gentleman at the TV store back in the 1970s or whatever. How do you round up all of this? How do we get past this? Or, or is this something, the situation with Russian intelligence, something we're just going to have to learn to live with or what? Well, I have to, I, I think one of the great failures in all this is we've had no major counterintelligence investigation. Uh, we were supposed to have one from James Comey when he was head of the FBI, but he was fired and kept from doing that. Then it was up to Robert Mueller as special counsel, and he was supposed to do a counterintelligence investigation. But what he did really was just a criminal investigation. These are very, very different uh, kinds of investigations. And I say that because uh, intelligence operations are designed, the smart ones are designed to operate within the law. One thing I talk about in my book is uh, an episode during which Donald Trump Jr. in October 2016, just a month before the presidential election, uh, Donald Trump Jr. traveled to Paris uh, he gave a talk before a French think tank. He was paid over $50,000 for it. And all of that was completely legal. But what was really going on was the think tank was a Russian front, a French for Russian intelligence. And Donald Trump Jr. was given the t talking points that uh, Russia wanted his father to perform when he became president in the Middle East. And sure enough, a year later, when Donald Trump was in office in 2017, he withdrew American troops from Syria. He abandoned our Kurdish allies and he left Russia in a, in a much more powerful and dominant position in the Middle East. That, in effect, <clears throat> was an intelligence operation, a very successful one at that, but no component of it, <clears throat> excuse me, was illegal. If you look at my book, you see a sequence of those kinds of operations. And we need our intelligence uh, apparatus to investigate all this, to deliver a final, uh, final analysis of it, and to recommend measures that will tighten all these loopholes. Uh, I've done what I can as a reporter, but the government has to step in as well. This is a fantastic book, Craig. As I've said to you before, nuggets like that are what make it fantastic because a lot of people have missed these little situations like the talk, where the talking points are given. And you say there are several episodes in there, and, and indeed there are in the book, where this kind of thing happens. But people, untrained eyes, don't know how to recognize this stuff in just reading it. So um, I'm just wondering, have you heard anything from the authorities about any of this? Well, I, I think the most revealing thing so far, and, and what uh, 
uh, and perhaps it, it, it's an optimistic note to me, was the raid on Rudy Giuliani uh, last week. Really? And, uh, you know, those to get to do a raid like that requires uh, you have to meet a very high bar of uh, evidence to show probable cause that a crime has been committed. And the bar is even higher when the target is a lawyer, as of course Giuliani is. So that meant that the, the FBI has not dropped the ball completely. And it suggests that uh, th this could be the string that unravels the whole thing. I, I'm hoping that may be the case. But what Giuliani was doing, of course, uh, this dates back to uh, the first impeachment of Donald Trump when he was in effect uh, with Giuliani's help extorting uh, or trying to extort President Zelensky of Ukraine um, to get um, uh, to fabricate uh, dirt on uh, Joe Biden, of course, for the 2020 uh, presidential election. And that that plan, of course, unraveled completely, and Biden won. Wow. Craig, this is another great interview with you. Thank you for taking time to do this as we continue to dig on this. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. That's Craig Unger. He's author of American Compromise. Coming up on our next episode, we're going to dig a little deeper into another aspect of this whole thing, and that is what's happening on this side of the intelligence picture, the U.S. intelligence community, and what it's doing to deal with the problem. In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments about the program, send me an email at jgreen at wtop.com. That's the letter J, the color green, one word, at whiskeytangooscarpapa.com. Also, we encourage you to follow us on Twitter. We're at T-U-S-A podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha podcast. And we also would like it if you'd subscribe. You might like it too. If you want more national security information, sign up for my newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff, and you can sign up at WTOP.com dot com slash alerts. I'm JJ Green, and this is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. Seven years ago, college wrestler Damian Hurd disappeared from a party in Gunnison, Colorado. Everyone has been drinking or whatever the usual party scene. When, how, and why he left are questions I need your help to understand. Nobody's heard from him. No, it's just like he disappeared. From Cold Case Productions and Podcast One, Final Days on Earth, The Life and Death of Damien Hurd. I'm your host, Claire Sanima. Join me April 20th for the season premiere. Now, stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press.